In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Our texts for today are kind of all of them that we read this morning. You may be seated. There are a few things to keep in mind about today. Days where the church remembers and gives thanks to God for the saints. First, while Lutherans do not hold the same view of the saints as the Roman Catholics do, believing them not only to hear but also to answer our prayers, to grant special abilities and, and benefits to those who call upon them, we do teach that remembering them is beneficial. After all, Proverbs 10:7 says, The memory of the righteous is a blessing. That's what a saint is, someone who has been counted righteous by faith in Jesus. Remembering them and giving thanks to God for them is indeed a blessing, says the Lord. And we do this already in the church here with All Saints Day, which we'll have in two weeks from today, where we typically remember members of our congregation who have died in the last year, even as we give thanks to God for the fact that he proclaimed the gospel to these people and poured out on them his Holy Spirit. And then all of the grace that he gave to us through them as well. Martin Luther says, We rightly honor the saints when we recognize that they are held up before us as a mirror of grace and mercy from God. For just as Peter, Paul, and other saints like us in body, blood, and infirmity were made blessed by the grace of God through faith, so we are comforted by their example, that God will look in mercy and grace on our infirmity. Honoring the saints also consists in exercising ourselves and increasing in faith and good works in a manner similar to what we see and hear. So Luther tells us that we are not only to see in the saints from the scriptures and from church history, not only someone who is like us, not only in the fact that we have flesh and blood, but are full of infirmities and sins, and God has still had grace and mercy on them, which means he'll also have grace and mercy on us. But we are also to look at their examples of faith and good works and live our lives in a similar way. This is why our official church teaching. The Augsburg Confession, which spells out in much greater detail what we believe, teach, and confess, says this. And this is also in the list, or right before the, the list of all the saints that are remembered, it's in your hymnal. Uh, it's in the Roman numeral section in the very front. But it says this. Our churches teach that the remembrance of the saints is to be commended in order that we may imitate their faith and good works according to our calling. And it goes on to say that, for instance, governing officials should look at King David as an example of how to rule in a godly way. And we do this among ourselves in a much smaller way. I know many of you look up to faithful parents and grandparents and hopefully pastors and also your teachers as examples of how to live your lives of faith today. I know that one day, my children, when they are parents, will look up to the godly example of their mother, 
as a wonderful example of being a faithful mom and wife. The second thing that I want to talk about in terms of the pre-stuff before we get to the meat of remembering James specifically is that there is actually some debate about who this James is that we're talking about today. Because there are a lot of Jameses in the Bible. Just like there are a lot of Marys, there are also a lot of Jameses. So first of all, who is he not? Well, he is not the writer of our epistle for today. That would be James, the brother of John, who are both sons of Zebedee, both fishermen and disciples of Jesus. It is not that James that we remember today. He was actually martyred in Acts chapter 12. It is also not James who was the disciple of Jesus named the son of Alphaeus. That's not him either. But we do find out about this James from our gospel reading for today. St. Matthew, when he relates Jesus' preaching in his hometown of Nazareth, where he goes to his own synagogue, and he's preaching the word of God with authority that they've never heard before, and they're offended by what he says. They point out that they know his whole family. Isn't he the carpenter's son? Is his mother not Mary? Do we not know his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon? And uh, the last one was uh, Judas. Don't we know these guys? In effect, in effect, they were simply saying, we've known this man since he was a little kid. And why should we listen to him? We know who he is. That James that's listed as one of the brothers of Jesus is the James that we're speaking about today. Now, he may have been a child of Joseph from a previous marriage, or he may have been a younger brother of Jesus after Jesus was born. We're not exactly sure on that, but this is, in fact, the James of which we speak today. We also know more about this James from other places in the Gospels. So, for instance, in John, it has told us that the brothers of Jesus are not only openly antagonistic towards Jesus, but they reject him entirely as the promised Messiah. They tell him, well, you should be going up to these festivals to prove that you are, in fact, the Messiah. But they do so in order to prove that he is not. They don't believe in him, just like the people in Nazareth did not believe in Jesus. They rejected him, and so Jesus did not do many mighty miracles among them. So, despite all of that, we do find in James an example of someone to remember and give thanks to God for. The first thing that I want to draw your attention to is the fact that, yes, he was openly antagonistic towards Jesus. But Paul reports in 1 Corinthians 15 that, he appeared, that Jesus appeared to James after his resurrection, and in that appearance, James was converted to the Christian faith. This means that even though we may know people who are openly antagonistic towards the Christian faith today, who have totally rejected Jesus, whether or not they were born in the church or not, that there is hope for those to be converted again to the saving faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know that our God does not desire the death of the sinner, 
But he wants all to return to him in saving faith. This is the example that we have in James. That with God all things are possible. Even those that seem so opposed to the preaching of the gospel can be converted by the working of the Holy Spirit. The second thing that we see about James comes to us from our first reading from Acts chapter 15. That despite his early hardness of heart, James not only became a staunch defender of the Christian faith, but he also became a pillar of the church who sought to preserve the church's fellowship through the preaching of the word of God. His understanding of the Old Testament made him an apt teacher of God's word and well-respected as Peter and John among the Christians in Jerusalem. And then finally, the last thing we ought to note about James comes to us from Jewish and Roman historian Josephus, who records that in the year 62, so about 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, James was ordered to be stoned to death by the Jewish high priest. So we see from church history that James was one of the very early martyrs of the Christian faith. So with all of that under our belts, how can us, remembering James, bring glory to God and serve as an example for us? Well, I've already mentioned his early antagonism towards Jesus, that he is an encouragement of what the apostle writes in his epistle to James, or sorry, to Timothy, where he says, God our Savior desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God in Christ Jesus loves all mankind, that he has sent his son Jesus to shed his blood and to die for all. I don't know all of your stories of how you came to the Christian faith, whether you came to Christianity very early in life or later in life, or if there was some time away from the church in between. But all of us together know some people, maybe more than one person, who has rejected the Christian faith, has fallen away, and we pray for them often. We see in the example of James God's grace and mercy towards them. This means that our loved ones in Christ who have fallen away from our Savior or who have never known him, when we pray for them, we know that our Lord's heart is to turn them and to save them. And we can trust him to do what is best. The second thing that we would do well to honor James today is to look at his role as a reconciler in the early Christian church. In Acts 15, the context of that passage tells us that there is a conflict between the two sections that exist within the Christian church. There are those who are Jewish by birth, who are raised under the ceremonies of Moses, like all of the sacrifices, circumcision, and all of the dietary laws. And those who came in later, who were Gentiles by birth, like you and me. There is a conflict between these two groups about how best to worship our Savior. Do we need to observe some of the Mosaic law or not? And James, by the preaching of his word from the Old Testament, brought those two sides together 
and began the missionary work, or encouraged the missionary work, I should say, of St. Paul in bringing more and more Gentiles, our ancestors, into the Christian church. That even as God, our Savior, reconciled all mankind to himself, we also ought to be reconciled with one another. But most of all, perhaps, in this age of persecution that is upon us, where Christian bakers and artists can be sued for refusing to use their talents to celebrate things that are contrary to the Christian faith, and where municipal fire chiefs in Atlanta can be fired for active membership in a Christian church that teaches what the Bible says about marriage and sexuality. Most of all, perhaps, James teaches us what it means to be faithful unto death. Jesus does not use play language when he tells us that a disciple will be like his master. And so James followed his master into death. But Jesus also promises, as we heard in the epistle from the other James, that he would give the crown of life to all who are faithful unto death. And so, dear saints, if the worst thing that the enemies of the Christian church can do is to put us to death, what about it? We have a master who has mastered death. We have a master who, by his death, destroyed death, and by his resurrection has brought life and immortality to life. So let us, like St. James, laugh in the face of death, because as St. Paul says, it has lost its sting. A day may be coming, indeed, it may already be here, when you may be called to suffer for the sake of Jesus. It may not come in the form of a Jewish high priest or the stones that are thrown at you, but it may come from your HR department manager who is looking to make sure that everyone in your company toes the line on the sexual revolution to use the right pronouns. It may come from a teacher who seeks to rob you of your Christian faith. It may even come from a friend or a loved one who seeks to pull you away from your Savior. Today, let us learn from James to follow his Savior and our Savior and to suffer all, even death, rather than to fall away. For that, dear saints, is the most fitting way to honor James and give thanks to God for his faithful confession. In Jesus' name. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.